Hello, and welcome to the Limitless Possibilities podcast, episode number nine. I really hope that you're all doing well, staying safe, staying healthy in this crazy time. I know things are starting to clear up better, and the weather's starting to get better everywhere, so I hope you're all consuming enough fluids and hydrating, because dehydration is definitely no joke. Today's interview, I'm very excited for you all to hear, as it's a person that I've had the pleasure of knowing for over a, a decade, and is somebody that has truly allowed all of the things that they've been to and been through to shape who they are and is really focusing on giving back. He's a person that could be extremely cocky, but he's very humble, even though he's been through some amazing things. He's represented his home country of Canada. He's represented his school. He's represented and played professionally overseas. He's a very successful person, but he's always willing to give back and have open and true conversations. He's showing that by starting a hockey initiative to help people that maybe are stuck or not sure what their next direction or path is. And he's giving back to athletes that aren't just maybe in hockey, but people that are maybe stuck between making the decision between one sport or another. Is that something that we're all as athletes presented with at one point is we need to make a decision between one sport and the other. And he's been there, so he's more than willing to talk about it. On July 28th, he'll be hosting a webinar at 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time for an initiative called Hockey, Your Journey, Your Path. If you look in the show notes, there will be links to the websites, link to the social media for both initiatives, as well as if you're looking to reach out to and have a conversation with Kevin, he's more than willing to have a conversation with any parents or athletes that might be looking for a little bit of guidance. And he's just an overall very good guy. With that being said, I really hope you enjoy the interview and I'll see you on the other side. All right. Our next guest on the Limitless Possibilities podcast is originally from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. He won a Western Hockey League Championships while playing for the Kootenai Ice. He represented Team Canada multiple times in multiple tournaments. He's the owner of Excel Personal Training and he's a current overseas professional hockey player. Welcome to the show, Kevin King. Awesome. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Nice to catch up after a few years for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while, I guess. Yeah. So we'll kind of just take it from where it's at. During this whole pandemic, obviously your hockey season was cut short. What have you kind of been doing to stay on top of it and keep busy? Well, obviously, like you said, it was kind of a scramble getting out of, I was playing in Northern Italy. So as you can imagine, it was a bit of a mess getting out of there. One failed attempt to get out and then the second attempt was successful. So once back home on Canadian soil and finished up with the quarantine, I just been getting settled back at home, uh, getting back into routine, routine of, of training and just kind of finding my finding my new normal back home um, within this virus, but also just within myself. Um, just been finding ways to, to stay active, to stay productive and, and just, you know, filling my time sort of wherever I can with little jobs around the house, but also uh, just trying to find new initiatives uh, moving forward to kind of something like you're doing here, helping others and helping young athletes and stuff like that so that's sort of what I've been doing mainly with my my time now have you been focusing maybe a little bit more as you said on personal growth have you found anything that's really helped you push that whether it be books or meditation or breathing or anything like that yeah again with like 
all this spare time, it's, you know, you have, uh, you have a lot more opportunity to kind of focus on that stuff. And even the last, honestly, since kind of, I went turned pro and went over to Europe to play, I really focused on personal growth and I found a lot of guidance in, in books and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of been part of my life for the last, you know, four or five years. And I've really enjoyed it. But uh, with this quarantine and being stuck at home, you have a lot more time to focus on the little things, like you say, breathing. Um, I've been doing uh, some breath work stuff for sure. Um, and then meditation I've tried to, to do. Uh, it's, I have a tough time with consistency sometimes with it, but uh, just trying to forgive myself for the inconsistent times and just get back at it whenever I can. Um, and then, yeah, just continue reading and uh, just trying to grow any way I can. And I think that's one of the biggest things that ever since we met back in high school is you could always see that you were trying to grow and always look at situations positively. So obviously preparation from an early age was a big transition into your adult life. Was there anybody that really was a standout mentor or role model for you that kind of helped keep you grounded? Because obviously coming from Canada, playing in the WHL out West, it'd be really easy to get your head, get really big and kind of create a huge ego. Yeah. You know what? I, I always say that, that my dad was kind of a, a big mentor, <clears throat> like outside of like role models in the actual sport. Um, you know, I looked up to guys like Jerome McGinley. I just really liked how he played. I liked how professional he was, but kind of closer to home was, was my dad. And he, Grew up in, in a humble setting, didn't have a lot of money. So he just was a big thing in his life was just work ethic. And so he kind of instilled that in me. And his one of his sayings was, uh, you get out of life what you put into it. So, you know, it always forced me to work hard and to, if I really wanted something, I needed to go out and get it. It was never going to be given to me. Um, and then, <clears throat> yeah, with like, that early prep kind of led into uh, like that work ethic just was established early and, and all that. And then, you know, the positivity, like you say, it kind of came from them as well. My parents, they're both very positive. They had uh, such a good outlook on what could have been poor situations in, in their life and the work life and all that kind of stuff, but they persevered and came through it. So I guess I come by that honestly, just to, you know, be positive and they're just, like, and again, like everything you read, and I'm sure you've been in the same boat, but negativity is it's so contagious, but it's so draining and it, mm -hmm. it consumes so much more. You could have 70% positive, which heavily outweighs a 30% negative, but that 30% negative is the stuff that's going to gain attention and gain traction. So, you know, as, as much as you can, that positive self-talk to have that, and then also just to have an optimistic outlook and and if some things aren't going well then make it make it go well yeah so it's uh you can you can you can sit and dwell and hope or you can do something about it in my mind and so going right off of what you said there for a lot of people they do have never experienced what you went through so obviously you moved away from home at a young age to go and pursue your hockey career going to play in the WHL, you moved away at home at 16. Was that positivity and just that positive outlook a huge 
benefit to yourself moving away from home? Obviously you don't know anybody, you're moving to a new city, new town, kind of talk about that transition a little bit. Yeah. So actually the year before I moved out to Cranbrook, I, I moved to Saskatchewan to go to play in uh, Notre Dame and midget AAA. So I was 14 years old when I, when my, I guess my mom let me leave home. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I guess it was a bit of my choice, but I, they also had to let me go. So that was interesting because I was just kind of like a young naive kid that just loved the sport. And, um, I, I think at that point there's not a whole lot to be negative about, but, mm-hmm. but leaving home, leaving the comfort of my, my family, my friends, um, to pursue my dream, I guess at that point, uh, it was tough for sure. It was tough, especially like, you know, long winter months in, in Saskatchewan and then, um, you know, going out to Cranbrook there, like you, like you say, you kind of get, uh, if you want to say it in a little town, like a little bit of celebrity status and mm-hmm. amongst some people. So it is tough to kind of stay humble and stay grounded, like you say. And, but it was, I, again, like I kind of look up to the people that I surrounded myself with and my, my billets were the salt of the earth, most amazing people ever. Um, so they helped with the transition a lot. They were like my second set of parents, but personally it forced me to grow uh, a lot more in a quicker time than if I was to stay at home. I believe uh, I was surrounded by older guys. They were bigger, they were stronger, they were more mature, they were graduated from school so I either had to find a way to fit in and to thrive in that environment, or I could have just kind of sat back and did poor me and I'm not in the lineup or I'm not playing a lot or, you know, my time will never come and all this stuff. So I just really had to find that mental resolve at a young age to stay with it, to, to stay on track, to trust the process and, and go through it that way. And don't get me wrong. There's a lot of ups and downs. I came home from the rink crying a few times, but, uh, I still got up the next morning and I you know, put my shoes on and I went back to the rink the next day with a, with a new outlook. But it was, the transition was hard. It was hard for sure. But, uh, again, I also really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. It wasn't all hard and bad. Like I was naive. Mm-hmm. I was fun. I, you know, went to a new city where nobody knew me. I didn't know anybody. So that's kind of enjoyable to like have a fresh start. You meet good people. Like I was lucky enough to meet you and you know, there's other good people in town. And so there was, there was ups and downs for sure. But uh, all in all, my experience was, was extremely positive. And, and something that obviously a lot of people don't understand about that is you guys are playing a near professional schedule, trying to balance the social life, trying to balance going to school. Did that kind of prepare you for in your mind, anything that life could throw at you in the sense that you're away from home, as you said, you're trying to mature, trying to obviously be a a teenager and go through all the things that you go through as well as balancing a professional style schedule. 
Yeah, so we, my first two years, I was in grade 11 and grade 12. And so that's when I did have to balance the 72 game schedule with, you know, high school uh, education. Sometimes we were on road trips for two weeks through Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And then we'd have to come back, get, drive 16 hours on the bus, go home, shower and go to class. So it was just, again, it was just kind of like that mental resolve. And I found that for me personally, but the people who kind of thrived and, and didn't mind and just kind of got by were the people who didn't complain or the people who didn't give any attention to, if you want to call it the shitty situation that we were in. Right. Like we chose to be there. We want to play hockey. Like this is what we have to do to, to do it. So it's basically, you know, you just, you put your head down, you do it. Don't say anything. You don't bring any attention to, you know, how good or bad the situation is. You just do it. You, you put one foot in front of the other and you, and you work hard and that's all it is. And so as far as a, a like a lesson or something that would teach me uh, for real life, I guess would be, would be time management for sure. Like obviously you kind of had to, plan the, the school schedule around the hockey schedule. Cause unfortunately, whether right or wrong, depending on how you talk to the, the hockey schedule took priority. Right. Um, but, uh, but also just like what I said is like, whatever situation you're in the negative part of it, and there's going to be negative parts of all situations, mm-hmm. but the negative part of it only can grow and get traction. If you bring attention to it. I found like if you just kind of bury it, put it aside. Yeah, this sucks. Acknowledge, yeah, okay, this sucks, but you got to get it done. Right? It's like a it's like a paper in school, or it's mm-hmm. a job interview, or it's a it's a tough conversation you have to have. As long as you just kind of you bring light to it. Okay, this sucks, but it's fine. I'm gonna be okay at the other end and stuff. So it's really helped me with. And for lack of a better term, not be a complainer. Yeah. Not be a complainer. So you embrace the suck, essentially, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. During during your WHL career, obviously you played with a few very talented people. You also had a couple of coaches that went on to coach in the NHL. Were some of those guys the ones that helped really drive the bus, so to say, with the positivity? Because obviously myself being in different locker rooms and things like that, as you said, it is infectious how much that negative mindset can go were those guys and yourself obviously being one of those people that had that perspective really able to push it and not maybe push out the negativity but really keep the positivity so strong that it didn't seep in well it's kind of kind of a tricky question because I had three different coaches in my time in Cranbrook there with the Kootenai Ice um the most positive one is the one that we won the championship with my last season in 2011. Uh, the other two had different styles. Uh, Corey Cluson obviously went on and coached the NHL. And to this day, I still think that he's the smartest hockey mind that I've played for, for sure. Like he, he knew the game, he knew the X's and O's, he knew the video, he knew the systems, all that kind of stuff. He was fantastic. Um, and he, he, 
he was very hard nosed kind of old school, if you will. just, uh, just a, like a hard ass kind of coaching style, but you respected him because of his knowledge. And he had kind of like what you're saying there. He had, a uh, after a game, we, we lost, I think we're on the road. I know we're on the road and we lost a game and he's like, he's like, boys, he's like, we have an end goal of the season. He's like, but can we accomplish that today? He's like, no. He's like, after this game, when we leave the dressing room, he's like, is the bus just going to drive in the dark and it knows where to go and it's going to end up back at home in Cranbrook? He's like, no. He's like, all we have to do is follow our headlights. And he's like, your headlight can only see so far. He's like, so let's just keep going step after step. And he's like, we're going to go. So that, like, obviously, if I still remember to the day, it kind of had an impact mm-hmm. on my life, right? Like, you just again, step-by-step step, and you can only go as far as you can see. Um, and then, and then Mark Hollick came in and he had, uh, we had a lot of success with him as well. He was kind of a hard ass too, but he was also, he was more, he's more personable, I guess. Like he knew how to work the room and he was a good guy and he, you know, the players got along with him and he came down on us though when we needed to. But, uh, but again, he, built us up when we needed to be built up as well. So, and then finally my last coach, he was just, he was kind of the, the, the greenest of them all, like kind of a young coach coming onto the scene and he was our assistant coach from before. So he kind of brought that assistant coach mentality to the head coach position where he was a good guy to all of us. And we all like just liked and respected him for who he was as a person. And, he knew the game well too, so it, it was such a good combination. Plus, like all you, like you say, like the good players that were on the team, kind of was the perfect concoction for a successful season. Um, so yeah, they were all like in their own ways. They were all positive, and I took kind of lessons from each of them to piece together kind of my own personal narrative because that's mm-hmm. I know it's what it's about. Yeah. And that's something that what you just said there, obviously when you're in a team locker room, you're around those people consistently, but for people that maybe aren't involved in sports, it is so crucial to surround yourself with people that have that same, as you said, direction in the headlights, because it's really easy to get off path. And that's why I'm really glad you answered it that way. Cause a lot of people don't understand that your circle influences you so impactfully, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What they say, you're kind of a product of the five people you spend the most time with. Absolutely. So obviously going into playing in the WHL, you have a dream, you want to get to the NHL. Going into your draft year, you had a big injury that obviously affected your career moving forward. Was that kind of the turning point for you in mindset being like, all right, I need to work even harder or did that really set you back as far as mentality moving forward? Do you think? So I remember the play. I'll just kind of describe it a little bit. I remember I was in Kelowna. We're playing. I came down the right side. I'm a left-handed shot. Came down the right side and I made a move out of guy at the blue line. I cut to the middle and I see this big guy coming through the middle at me. So I kind of jump out of the way. He sticks his knee out just to clip me and, and same 
thing, I just kind of went down like a sack of potatoes. And I, I remember I did like three spins on the ice because of the momentum. And, and I knew right away something was, was wrong. I wasn't, I don't remember if it was a pop of my knee or the, the shin pads hitting, but anyway, so I had, uh, it wasn't as bad as I initially thought it was, a it was a grade two MCL. And so I had no surgery or anything like that, but then I almost think like would it have been better if I just got surgery and, mm-hmm. and, uh, got that over with cause the rehab was uh, longer than I expected. Um, luckily uh, I missed nine games, but that's with like Christmas break in there too. So it would have been longer if it was at a different point. But, uh, but when I came back, uh, well, I start, I tried to come back one time and it just wasn't right. Like my knee felt like it was bending in. It felt like there's no strength or stability on the inside. Um, so that's kind of when I was like, like that was my first major injury in, in sports. So I was like, okay, I'm young. I was like, oh, it's not that bad. I can just come back and I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. That's kind of when I stepped on the ice. I was like, okay, this isn't okay. So that's kind of when I switched my mentality and I was like, all right, like I have to do something about this. I have to help my body get back to where it needs to be. And obviously, like you say, it was my draft year. I was actually ranked in uh, central scouting for skaters in North America to get drafted. Um, so I was optimistic and I was, I was hopeful that I was going to get drafted because like you say, I was one step closer to my ultimate dream. But, uh, but after the injury, I, those doubts started to creep in and like, I was like, wow, I'm not, I'm not playing any games so they can't see me and I'm not healthy. How am I going to be when I come back? And so I guess like that season, it was really tough on me mentally when I did come back because I didn't feel a hundred percent. I felt um, maybe physically I was close 90, 95%, but mentally was the biggest issue because I, I was scared. I didn't want to tell anybody at the time. I didn't want to admit it at the time, but I was scared. I was scared to get hurt again. Um, so I was a little bit more tentative and for the way I play the game, I, I didn't have enough skill to rely on skill alone. I was, I was very physical. I had to play that power forward role, um, go to the hard areas and stuff like that. And that's what got me seen in the first place mm-hmm. and get some attention towards me. But coming back from my injury, I shied away from that stuff a little bit because, you know, I was playing with a brace on, it was a little uncomfortable and, I just wasn't willing to go to those hard areas to have the success I needed to, to play the way I needed to, because mentally I was freaking myself out. Mm -hmm. And so, so that kind of went that way for the rest of the season, near the end of the season, I started to come around and like, you know, every, every hit you take that you don't get injured, it builds your confidence a little bit more. So I kind of, I started to get more involved and I started to play better near the end of that season. Um, But I, and there's no excuses. Like I got hurt and then I came back and I wasn't the same player for a little bit. So I didn't end up getting drafted my first year of eligibility. Um, But that summer, 
whether again, whether it's right or wrong, I switched uh, my personal trainers actually. And I went to a one-on-one trainer and, and I believe so strongly in the one-on-one attention that I got from him um, that built me up and that, and that brought me back and it gave me the confidence. It gave me the, the strength like physically to feel confident that I wasn't going to get hurt again, that I had, you know, that protection in that sense. Um, and then I came back and I had another good year, a better year than year before and, and, uh, still no draft, but, uh, I was lucky enough. I was, even though I wasn't ever drafted, I was still lucky enough to go to three NHL camps <clears throat> and, and kind of sneak in the back way. And, uh, if you want to call it the hard way, um, but yeah, so I was, it was, it was a tough situation and definitely learned a lot from it, but it, it was one of those cases where, again, I could either say poor me or I could dig deep and I could, uh, make a honest shot at, at a recovery and a comeback and to get to my ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. And so obviously you finish out your WHL career very successfully. Obviously you guys win the edge Chanel's championship and go on to play in the Memorial cup coming out of that. Did you have a plan or did you have opportunities present yourself or was your destination that you're like, okay, now I need to hit the reality of life and I'm going to go to university. No, obviously I was holding like with, I was talking to my agent and stuff and like, obviously again, I wasn't, I wasn't done. I wasn't done playing. I wasn't, I wasn't, content with my career to date like happy with it obviously but it wasn't what I set out to do and so after I didn't get drafted uh, I was talking to my agent and he's like well you might uh, you might get picked up or signed like after the draft but I did kind of switch my mentality after that when I when there when I didn't get signed um, so I was like all right I didn't want to sit back and say, okay, well, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait for this. Like mentally, I wasn't going to immerse myself in this for, for a big letdown. I was like, okay, what's another route, another way that I can make myself better, that I can set myself up for success, both in hockey and life. Mm-hmm. So I remember like mentally, I made the switch to be like, all right, let's take a look at schools. Let's, let's do my research. How's the hockey team? How's the hockey program? Where are my marks at? What program do I want to do in school? What do I want to graduate with? All this stuff. So I was like switched. And I was like a little disappointed that, you know, the pro route didn't work out, but I, I started to get excited about school and I, I started to, to talk to people about, their experiences at school. So I started to get really excited about it. And I said, you know, it sounds like a lot of fun. You get to play a game you love, but you also get to go to school and like actually take something that you want to take. And it's not like, uh, not like uh, grade school where you're just kind of prescribed to the curriculum. But Mm -hmm. so I started to get excited and then I, I completely switched my mentality and I was like, school, school, school pumped about that and then the NHL draft came and went I although I wasn't eligible I was just kind of waiting to see what would happen after because that's Mm -hmm. when teams fill 
their rosters with with players. So I got a call uh, from the draft floor from my agent, and he said he said uh, Syracuse, who was the farm team for Anaheim at the time, they're like they want to sign you to a one way American Hockey League deal, mm-hmm. one year, one way. So and and then he's like so or he's like and they're they're going to give you 24 hours to make the decision (laughs) oh awesome that's perfect a life-changing decision i have 24 (laughs) hours to do it uh so i got off the phone i was laying in bed it was like early in the morning uh i was out in cologne i think the draft was was out east somewhere and i got off the phone i laid in bed for five minutes and i was just sitting there because it was kind of a it was a, like a glimmer of hope. It was like, all right, like I've completely switched my mentality. And then all of a sudden I get this bomb dropped on me and I'm like, well, shit, like this is what I was waiting for. This is what I wanted. I was like, I was excited. I was ready, like mentally, physically ready to go this other way. But then now this is back on the table. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about this for five minutes and then that's kind of when the flurry of phone calls started going out. I called my dad, I called my mom, I called my best buddies like who are going, who are playing pro. I called my best buddies who are in school and I like did all my, as much as I could, like it's probably the most homework I did in 24 hours to be honest, (laughs) school or otherwise, but I did as much as I could to get the best to make the best decision I could for myself at the time. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I ended up taking the deal because it was, it was a good situation. Um, the money I would have made depend depending on wherever I was, I was going to make the same money. I wasn't going to make less if I got sent down. So there's a little bit of that stability. Uh, the coach that I was going to play for out there, he was my coach for three years in Kootenai. So I was like, okay, this guy knows me. He knows what I can do. We mm-hmm. have a good relationship. Um, so I just like did all that. And I kind of all the, everything kind of checked out as far as a recipe for potential success. So then I, I just put my head down and I worked hard that summer to go into camp and show really well. Cause I knew I was up against the drafted guys mm-hmm. and I'm sure you know with baseball and with other sports, there's a lot of politics involved. So if, uh, if, uh, if there's a drafted guy who they have time, money invested in this guy, there's and no then poor little me over here who just got signed to this little contract, to them it's, it's pennies. They're going to give the guy that's drafted every opportunity for success over, over me. So I knew I had an uphill battle going in, but I wanted to embrace it. I wanted to make the most of it. And I wanted to, to prove something, whether it be to myself or to somebody else, but I was mostly myself. Like I was always like, I'm always my hardest critic and Mm -hmm. I wanted to prove something to myself. So I just worked hard. So anyway, that, uh, it was tough because I, I got there and I figured I was better than a few of those drafted guys, but I just wasn't getting the shot, but it didn't matter. I was, I was in the, in the weight room longer than 
anybody. I was on the, one of the first three on the ice, always one of the last three off, always. I put in the time and like my game was growing and I was getting better for sure, but didn't get that sniff. And then kind of an aha moment came when I was sitting in the dress room and I was talking to this 23 year old guy that graduated from the NCAA. Uh, I can't remember what school he went to, but talked to him. Hey, how's it going? Like, where'd you go to school? All this stuff. And it was kind of my aha moment. I was like, well, I don't have a backup plan if hockey doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting the opportunity there. And I was like, okay, well, I could get buried in a lower league and it's just kind of my, you know, slow, slow death in the hockey world. So I was like, I don't have a backup plan. And this guy, he's at the same level as I am, a couple years older, but he's got a degree. He's got a school bought and paid for. That's in his back pocket. Nobody can take that away from him. So I was like, well, I was like, what do I have? It's like, I got great memories of hockey and a high school diploma. That's Mm -hmm. it. So then I started to get thinking and I started to switch my mentality back to kind of my, my long-term plan or long-term life goal and stuff. So anyway, I switched, uh, switched back and I ended up leaving professional hockey after, uh, it was like six months there. And I think honestly, I got out at the right time. It was, it was a very, very hard decision, but, uh, I think I got out at the right time, um, for the situation that was going on there. Yeah. And so obviously making that decision, do you think that was the hardest decision you've made in your life? Thinking that you're almost at that point of getting to that breakthrough of that dream, your whole, whole childhood and all of a sudden okay, I'm going to walk away from that. Was that really difficult to go through? Yeah, honestly, it was because looking back now as a, you know, at the time you think you're 21 and you're, you kind of have life figured out and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Looking back as a 21, like, oh, I'm 30 now, but looking back, you know, nine years when I made that decision, it was it's a pretty, like you say, a life-changing decision made by, somebody with not a whole lot of life experience. So I was proud of, I am proud of myself now for the decision I made, not necessarily the decision I made, but how I made the decision. Again, I did, I did my homework. I talked to people that, you know, meant the most to me in my life and I weighed the pros and cons. And, and like you say, it was kind of uh, like, how does a guy who grew up playing hockey for 15 years, trying to make the NHL. I'm one step away. It's still my goal. I still love hockey. How's a guy supposed to make a decision to take a step back? And that's kind of, that's where I was like, now I'm really proud of myself that I did that because it wasn't an easy decision. It wasn't an overnight decision. Um, but looking back now, I'm very happy that I did because although I never obtained the end goal of playing in the NHL, I got close. I'm proud of that. Uh, I had 
kind of a second little shot after school, but I'm sitting here, I'm kind of playing with house money now that I feel like I have my degree. And honestly, like that's sort of what it is. Like you have that education. That's something nobody can ever take away from you. Somebody can take away sports from you easily, you know, like a, another hit or an injury or something like that. And it's done. Um, but it was, it was an extremely, extremely hard decision. Uh, there was a lot of people that didn't agree with it and weren't honestly, my agent at the time, I phone him. I said, I think I'm going to leave. He's like, well, what do you mean? Like he just couldn't believe it. And, and he's like, all right. He's, he's like, you got to do what you got to do. And uh, that was the last day I, I talked to him, to be honest. So some people didn't agree with it. My parents even said the same thing. They're like, like they, they just couldn't fathom why I would do it. And, and so I ended up writing this big email to him. I was like, okay, this is why, this is why I feel this way. This is the situation I'm in. This is kind of this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, and my dad, even to this day, he remembers that. And he, and that's kind of when he gained the respect of my decision, but, uh, but it, it panned out and, and again, yeah, it was extremely hard. I would say probably the hardest decision I've made in my life for sure. And it, just going off what you're saying is I think that's something for anybody in life, right? Where we want to make a decision and others don't agree with us. Oftentimes, sometimes we fall back because we don't want to let people down or disappoint them. But sometimes when we push through that, because we know deep inside of us, that's a better decision. Great things lie on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And so obviously you go to the university of Calgary, you have a very successful career playing there and you get an opportunity to represent team Canada. What was that like as kind of a culmination of all the years you'd put into? Oh, it was, so I'll go, I'll go back to my first time. So that was the second time I represented team Canada. Right. First time was the summer before my draft year. Um, that was U18 team Canada at the Ivan Holinka tournament in the Czech Republic. Um, played with guys on that team, like, you know, Steven Stamkos, Andrews. Alex Petrangelo, Michael Delzato, like Jordan Everly, those guys, some like, I don't know, probably heard of them. They're pretty, <laughs> pretty good hockey players. Um, so that was my first time wearing the Maple Leaf at an international event. And it was, I was, in my mind, I was outgunned and outmanned at these tryouts. Um, I think I just had so much respect for them and I was like stepped on the ice I was nervous as hell and I just I didn't think I stood a chance to be honest and I will say uh the assistant coach uh Guy Boucher he's he's head coach in NHL now but he's assistant coach for that team he he'll tell me the same thing he's like he's like we kind of had you at the bottom of the 40 44 tryout players or whatever. And he's like, we, we kind of had you written off and until your, your last two performances. And so I, I earned my way onto that team. And again, it was like a very proud moment in my life. And 
it was a super stressful selection process because basically what they did is had like an a, a meeting at the end and they're like, okay, everybody like have your bags packed. If you're not on the team, we're going to come knock on your door. We're going to pull you out of your room. And they don't tell you this is at, you know, six in the afternoon or six in the evening. No, this is, this is four or five in the morning. They come knocking. So I'm sitting there, I got my phone under my pillow and I'm like facing the wall, faking to sleep and like talking a little bit with my roommate and stuff. And then all of a sudden we hear the knock on the door. I'm like, all right, here we go. Can't remember if I have my shoes on or not already laying in bed, but (laughs) I think they're right beside. But anyway, they go, they come in, they look around and they tap my roommate. And so he got cut and I was like, I was like, okay, they're going to leave and they're going to come back and get me still at this point. I I was like, I'm not going to make this team. And I was like, sure enough, they come back, they knock, they open the door and they like poke their head in and I'm just sitting there faking sleep. And, uh, and then, <laughs> and they look around the room and they close the door behind them. So I'm like, does that mean I made it? So I like sneak my phone out from under my pillow. I call my dad and I'm like, dad, I think I made it. He's like, well, what do you mean you think you made it? And I was like, well, they came and got my roommate and they came to check the room again and they didn't grab me. He's like, well, what do you mean? Like, why can't you find out if you made it or not? <laughs> and so he was, he was stressed out. But anyway, that was, uh, I did make it. I, I still like, honestly, I walked down to the lobby to meet the team and the coaches. And I still felt like I was going to walk down there and they were like, Oh, Kev, sorry. Like we made a, a mistake. Like we were actually supposed to take you, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know if it was just like not a lot of confidence in myself. I knew my ability, but I think I was just so, I don't know, like naive to my ability or something like that, that I just humble as well. Right. Yeah. I guess, I guess I tried to stay humble and I just, I just felt like these other guys were better than me and stuff. They were kind of on this, this next level but so that was the first time I went excellent experience uh with the team we had we should have done better but anyway that was the first time second time it was more of like a selection process based on performance throughout the year on your individual teams and and that one was really cool because I actually was an assistant captain on that team um so to be a leader on a team that was chosen to represent Canada for the Canadian or sorry, the world university ad. And that was in Granada, Spain. That experience was absolutely fantastic. That was just such an amazing group of guys. Um, Again, we should have, we lost to the Russians two to one in the semis. um, And they, they scored with a few seconds left. And so that was a bit of a heartbreak, but we ended up winning bronze, but uh, just to wear the maple leaf and like, that that tournament was different because that tournament was more of a mini Olympics. So there was like the Olympic village and there was, uh, there was curlers, there was all the winter sports, ski jumps, um, speed skating, all that. So that, like that experience was just 
absolutely incredible. And you just kind of like sit back and you're just in awe and you just, you try and take it all in. And there's like the opening ceremonies, the closing ceremonies, you're meeting all these athletes from all over the world, but it was just really neat to see how people treated Canadians mm-hmm. and how they really respected, loved and appreciated us to be honest. And I think, you know, Canadians have earned that on the national stage because they're, you know, for the most part respectful and, um, and people, people appreciate our ability in, in the athletic world. And I think it, and that was, uh, that was really, really cool. They were asking to trade you jackets and everybody wanted a Canadian jacket and, and all that stuff. But it was, uh, absolutely one of my top memories of my, my whole career in life so far. Did playing in that tournament in a way open your door to playing overseas or to a rejuvenation of the professional career that you maybe thought the door was closed on? It was a eye-opening experience that there was a, there was a hockey following in Europe and it was so Granada, Spain, let's just talk about this for a second. So they had a hockey team. So Spain isn't a hockey country, if you can right. imagine. <laughs> so Granada, they built the ice. So they had a hockey team in Granada, but the team practiced on rollerblades. They didn't yeah. even have an ice surface there. When they, right. when they played games, they would play in Milan. Or sorry, in uh, Madrid. Mm. Um, so they would play in Madrid. And that was like a four-hour bus ride away or something like that. So that was the home rink. Their home games were four hours away. <laughs> so they brought the Italians in to make ice for this tournament. So that was kind of like an eye-opening experience of like, all right, well, I, I come from a country where every little town has at least one rink, and, and that's kind of the way it was. But uh, there were scouts there and stuff, and there were teams that came in like that were able to see – um, international players come that was easy for them to access. So, uh, actually a team from Spain wanted me to come play there. And I was like, you know what? Spain is an absolutely amazing country. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at this point, I kind of have come to terms with, with the NHL being, you know, a childhood dream. Um, so I was looking and my, my, my morals and values sort of have changed and grown and, 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 uh, and progressed like during this time, during my whole time at school mm-hmm. from when I left the Western hockey league. But so basically like my, my core value was to, was life experience and travel. And I was like, there is no better way for me to see the world than to get paid to play a sport that I love and not, not paid a lot, but get paid to play, get, my travel over there paid for, um, live in some amazing places. You know what it's like. And absolutely it's, uh, how could I say no to, to that? Right. So that kind of like, I always knew I wanted to go over to Europe after and play, but that was like my first experience of playing in Europe at that age, kind of in that, that setting. So, um, after that, like after that tournament, when I went back, finished the season, that was my last year at school. I went 
back down to the East Coast Hockey League. I just wanted to finish. My best buddy was down there. Just wanted to play hockey, have some fun with him, play a little bit more. Um, just kind of boost my resume with with those uh, with that league and those that team. And uh, and I actually like got a phone call like after my second practice there. I hadn't even played a game yet. I was just joking around. I was like, oh, it's probably the the, Amer- my, the coach saying I got called up. <laughs> and so I just called him back. He's like, hey, coach, how's it going? And he's like, oh, good. He's like, uh, the Texas Stars want you to come up and play from this weekend. It's like, oh, okay. My heart just started pounding out of my chest. And so I had gone from, from if you can kind of picture North America, I went from Calgary to Chicago, Chicago to Atlanta, Atlanta to Greenville of a drive. And then I got called up. So I went from Greenville back to Atlanta, Atlanta to Austin, got there at like two in the morning, lost all my luggage, felt like an idiot showing up the next day in like my civvy clothes and everybody (laughs) else is suited up. So we went from Austin to Sacramento in California Played a couple games in Sacramento um, and then have to, so I almost did a full loop of North America travel like this within, you know, 36 hours. But, uh, but anyway, I was there for about a week. And then, so I, so I, that's kind of like another realization I had that I wanted to go over to Europe was because of the, the feeling of, I was a commodity. I wasn't a person. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. And I, and I valued that. I valued like being a part of a family, a part of a team, like at school, like there's nobody traded or anything like that. New players would come in, old graduating players would leave, but nobody would trade was traded. So like it was a team. It was that, that camaraderie. It was that, um, you know, that, that bind you guys have is, athletes you guys go to battle every day together so i like that i didn't like oh you can get called up you can get sent down you can get traded here you can get traded there so europe isn't like that you can switch teams every year but like within the season like you have that job security and you have your your team your family your organization there that's uh, consistent so that was that was another like it was an excellent experience to go down after after my season but that was kind of another solidifying moment that I wanted to my morals and value my values have changed and I wanted to go overseas and, and kind of explore that mm-hmm. and kind of what you're talking about too and I think that's something you know not to say the darker side of professional sports in North America but definitely the side that a lot of people don't understand is the stress and anxiety level can be so much higher because like you said you are essentially a commodity and you can be, as you know, you said you did the full circle within 36 hours. That is a real reality for a lot of people. So when you do get to Europe, obviously your first experience, what was that like as far as culturally being different and just embracing the new norm for yourself? Well, one of my okay so first of all i've never been so tired in my life when when i first got over there we had kind of a milk run of a of a trip and then we're sitting in the airport and we had to wait three hours for another guy to get in but so super tired there in a country i'd never been to 
finally get to the town I'm playing in and we go like the small towns, like, as you know, small towns don't have as much English mm-hmm. there. It's kind of, they're kind of stuck <laughs> in their ways and they're more, um, traditional more proud and traditional. Yeah. So we're like, Oh, we're starving. So what do we do? We got to go out and like, we don't have any, we don't have any money yet for like our European money. Um, and so we're like, but we need something now. And like, I think it was Sunday. So again, as you know, everything's closed on Sunday. So you can't go to a yeah. restaurant, you can't go to a drive through and pick something up. So we go that we find this one place that's open and we walk in and him and I were, my buddy and I were talking to each other and these two people behind the, the counters, they were like a young, younger girl and boy. And they were just laughing at us. And so that was kind of my first experience of like, like trying to speak to them in French and, and uh, they were just laughing at us. And then they, they responded to us in their broken English because our French was just, just uh, <laughs> useless. So that was kind of like the first like wake up call, like, hello, like you're not at home anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, the town kind of became became home. It was, it was a small kind of sleepy little town that got behind the hockey program there. And, uh, you're recognized in the streets. Um, and, uh, and people would, would really try and communicate with you, uh, whether it be English or Google translate on their phone, they type <laughs> it for you and, and you do the same. So conversations were quite long if you can, can picture that, but, uh, that was my first experience. And it was kind of, uh, that was the first time I was that far away from home. Like we talked about earlier, me leaving home at a, at 14, but I was always within, you know, four or five, six hour drive from my family. Not a, not a 12 hour flight kind of thing. So that was like, uh, and here I am like, you know, five years older than, when I, when I left to, to New York and played in New York for a bit. Um, so I think I got it figured out, but again, it was, it was tough. It was, there was a big adjustment because you don't have the comfort of everybody else in the city. Like to, if you needed help to go and just ask them and it, it wasn't that easy. Like you, you, it was almost an uncomfortable, like unsettling feeling like, well, what if I got sick and I needed to tell them about, a medical condition or like, am I going to get the right treatment or whatever it is? Right. And so you kind of stick to your little, uh, group and that's where the organizations come into play and they help you out a lot and mm-hmm. stuff. So it was, uh, it was, it was a tough situation made a lot easier by the people that were there. Like, um, I just was lucky enough to, to find good people on that team. And, and it was, it was good. We felt we made it our, our home for that year. And so obviously embracing the new culture, I've been through it myself. It can be a, a mundane task in the sense of, as you said, you can feel really isolated in the sense of, as you, you know, you get sick or you're standing at the train station and can't communicate with anybody. It can definitely be a difficult, uh, a difficult yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> So obviously you transition, uh, you end up in England. How different is the hockey there in comparison to anything you've ever played before? 
England, of the three countries I played in, England is the closest to um, North America because you can have 14 imports. So a good, like, what would that be? Like about two thirds of the roster would be Mm -hmm. imports. And those imports are typically uh, Canadian or Americans. So like that style kind of became its thing there. Um, What changes the game though is the big ice surface over in Europe. So, uh, but having said that there was some team, there's no standard size of rinks there. So (laughs) one team, we played in it felt like a shoe box and then another team we'd go and play the next weekend and it felt like a football field. Um, so that, that hockey was really good though. It's a, it's a high level. It's competitive. It's uh, I think the average age is, is quite a bit older. So it's a lot of mature, strong, just men playing the game. Um, so that was, that was a really good experience. England's a fantastic country as well. Um, well, I guess all of the UK is, I got to explore a little bit. All of the mm-hmm. UK is just gorgeous. Um, so that hockey was, it was, it was good level. It was uh, definitely a step up from France. Um, and uh, like obviously not the top level in over in Europe, but it's, uh, it, it, I don't think it gets as much respect as it deserves for sure. Yeah. And that's, I think a lot of people, you even just talking about being a professional league in France or a professional league in England, a lot of people don't even know, as you said, that there is as many professional leagues around. So obviously you go to another one that a lot of people don't know about. You go to Italy. How much of a culturally different experience was that? Because they're very rooted in tradition there. Yeah, absolutely. They're, uh, <laughs> Yeah, they are. They are very rude in tradition. I laugh because it's uh, is very evident um, with the Italians more so than than definitely the English. The English are more kind of accommodating, but the the Italian and French are fairly close um, in that sense. But uh, again, going so I was in England for two years. So it was nice to like have the English there. Like we talked about, that language barrier was. Um, wasn't a, a thing. And then all of a sudden I go back to Italy where, you know, I, I, I picked up a little bit of French from playing in France for the year and I've yet to pick up any Italian anywhere. <laughs> so, uh, my Italian stunk. And, and to be honest, like I, w- I wanted to learn. I wanted, I went into the year. I was like, I want to learn. I want to, you know, I'll, I'll ask my, my teammates um, some words and stuff like that. So I'd be like, hey, uh, talk to my buddy. I'd be like, hey, how do you say, um, like, can I go to the washroom or something mm-hmm. like that? And he'd be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And then, like, the other Italian guys would start laughing. And he basically told me to, he's like, I don't know. They'd <laughs> say something else like, um, do you want me to clean your house tomorrow or something right. like that? Like they they weren't very helpful as far as like giving me proper translations. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, it was a little different there, but they were, it was all in good fun and stuff, but the town itself, um, they, 
it wasn't, it was a similar sort of town as it was in France, but the town itself wasn't, it's a very touristy town. So it wasn't the hockey following wasn't as good. Um, but with the guys that were there, it's a small community and stuff like that. So they supported you very well. Mm-hmm. Um, the people in Italy were, were quite nice that we ran into, uh, for the most part, they were helpful. Um, it was the first year I had my girlfriend living with me. So, uh, us and our dog were there. So that was, uh, you know, a taste of home and, and that comfort was nice. Uh, and actually I just so happened to play with a guy in Notre Dame. The first year I left home ended up being on the same team. As okay. me. So 15 years later, I reconnect with this guy and play with this guy. So that was cool. Um, yeah, Italy, Italy was, uh, the country itself was absolutely fantastic. Um, but like you say, just rooted in tradition and they're stubborn and like they, they'll any, any chance they can, they're like, we're better than this country. We're better than this country because this and this, and we did this in the war and we did this in the war. And so they're, they're pretty funny that way. So that's why I was kind of laughing. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're rooted and they're proud for sure. Yeah. yeah extremely proud. <laughs> so obviously you've gone through a lot of ups and downs. You've experienced some injuries, you've experienced some successes and really you're very humble about the whole process. One of the big things that I know you and I have talked about that you're involved in is your youth initiative to help kids see that their only directive doesn't have to be the NHL. Because the reality is, as you and I know, making that top echelon of any professional sport is a very slim chance for a lot of people. Talk about the youth initiative and kind of how you want to grow the perspective for a lot of people to see that different path. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you bringing this up because I, I wanted to get as much traction as I can and, and using this platform is fantastic. So basically I've had this idea since I left the Western Hockey League. Uh, so that was 2011. So it's almost been 10 years and finally I'm bringing light to it. Finally I'm, I'm putting in the time and the effort and stuff and, and I'm lucky that uh, nobody else has kind of jumped on this train. So basically my idea and what I want to do is I want to be removed emotionally, financially, everything removed party from any organization, any uh, like league or anything like that. And I want to educate parents and players, typically that the ones that are starting to go into the draft process about making that decision, uh, you know, that 14, 15 year old range where these young kids are expected to make life changing decisions. And, and how the hell are they supposed to do that? Especially if their parents haven't gone through it and they just, they don't know. There's so many uncertainties, so many things that so many variables that are to be taken into consideration. Um, so basically what I want to do is talk to guys that I know, players, um, even, even parents that have gone through this process and bring back take home messages for these young kids and be like, okay, well, 
uh, depends what your, your values are. Do you value education? Um, do you want to be more prepared for the major league schedule? Do you want to like this, this, and the other thing? So I'm compiling, if you want to call it a library of resources for parents and players to go and look and educate themselves on the realities and the, the different routes that you can take in hockey. Like it's not like you say, it's not an A to B situation for the vast majority of, mm-hmm. of athletes, whether it doesn't matter what sport it is, you know, you, you get these um, go off on these tangents and, and then you can always end, you can always end up at the top. Right. But even, even I want to say like the top isn't the same for everybody. Everybody's top isn't the same. So, so my initiative is to educate parents and players so that they have all the information I can give them to make the best decision for each individual. Mm -hmm. I'll put together a package for little Johnny uh, because he's he's smart, he's small, um, and he's he's kind of a late bloomer. So I'll put together something for him that's specific to him. And then there's his buddy over here, and he's big, strong, um, also smart, different position. So I'll put together a package for him. So each individual player deserves individual attention. And so I just, all I want, and in, in retrospect, looking back, I want to share my experiences and, and other hockey players' experiences with young kids so that they have a step up, so that they have an opportunity to make more informed decisions to set themselves up the best that they can for their individual success mm-hmm. instead of following the path of their friends or following the path of a biased resource that is, is pushing them one way because that's beneficial to the person, right? you know, because the individual will be, will benefit. So, so that's kind of what I'm working on now. That's what's in the works. I have, uh, uh, I'm doing some online webinars coming up here in a couple weeks. Um, I'll get you those dates if you want to, if you want to share that with your listeners, that'd be absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, absolutely. I know this is more kind of hockey specific, uh, what I'm doing, so it might not pertain to everybody, but, um, but yeah, hopefully it gets up and running and gets some traction. And I just, all I want to do is, is a lot like you is just give back to the sport that gave me so much in my life. And, and I have, I can never repay it but I'm going to try. And uh, I just want to help kids. I want to help young kids have every opportunity for success that they can. Yeah. And I think that's a really admirable thing because even just touching on it to really emphasize what you're talking about, a lot of people don't realize you went the the Western Hockey League route. And as soon as you play, you lose your NCAA eligibility. A lot of people don't know that. And so they always think, well, it's a common myth for people to think that everybody that plays in the dub is an idiot. And it's like, well, no, they just don't because you guys are considered professionals as soon as you play. Whereas as you said, you're forced to make that decision when you're 15 or 16, you can never know, you know, nobody has a glass ball. So for, by you doing what you're doing, I think that's amazing to be able to help some of those families out. Yeah. Thanks. 
And then to kind of close out, you're doing your personal training. I know earlier you touched on how much the one-on-one training really helped you kind of come back from an injury and kind of help really drive to another level. When you're doing your training, are you mainly focused on -on one-on-one training with athletes or are you just doing it with particular clients in general? So I'm just, I'm just getting back into it. Um, I did it my last year at school and I had a few more clients. Um, I had honestly anybody from a, it was a, it was a 14 year old or 16 year old, um, kid, young hockey player up to, uh, a 73 year old kind of ex Senator, um, in the political world. So I had a huge mixed bag and stuff, but it didn't matter who I was training. Um, I just, I found value in the one-on-one, um, both in the training and the attention that they need. Uh, because a lot of, a few, like a bunch of my clients, they're not athletes like us. They didn't get, again, taught the proper technique. They, they are kind of, uh, floundering a little bit. So the clients I have now, I have uh, three one-on-one clients. Um, they're all actually the same family and stuff. So a, a husband and wife, I do each of them individually. And then I have their, their son, uh, who's 12 year old hockey player. Um, and then I have a little group of four kids as well. Uh, so he's also in that group training. So it's obviously like a, a little bit different training, but I just find so much value in the one-on-one stuff and, and with athletes and non-athletes alike, because the attention that the non-athletes need, and I say, mm-hmm. sorry, maybe I shouldn't say non-athletes. Maybe I say the, the kind of uneducated mm-hmm. uh, group demographic there of, of exercise. So they need more attention because they need the adjustments to, to do the movements properly. And they, need to know how to do the exercises properly and stuff like that. But I also found that they need the, the, the mental release of somebody to talk to Mm -hmm. just that one hour of uninterrupted time with somebody else because family life gets busy and maybe they don't communicate the same way as, as they should. And, um, I'm, removed from emotion in the family so they can vent to me about different stuff or just, so I found that it's not only like a physical uh, benefit from it, but also uh, the mental benefit Mm -hmm. that they they get from it. So I I find it really, really rewarding to do the one-on-one stuff. And even with the the young athlete, the 12 year old hockey player, um, the improvement that I've seen through him because of this one-on-one stuff is just, it uh, gives me goosebumps. Like it's, it's cool to see. It's really cool to see because I know how, what it's like because I've gone through it and now to see this guy go through it. I find it so cool. And then like with the, with the small group and stuff, I would never go over four because, because all of a sudden my attention is drawn in way too many different spots. And then I can't, provide a product that's that's of value in my opinion mm-hmm. so it's been fun doing the the group stuff for sure it's a it's again it's a different dynamic but um but it's uh it's been fun there's some characters out there and we can we, we play some fun games and we get a lot of hard work done and sometimes i'll jump in and join them for for a workout and i think they they enjoy that too but 
Um, but no, the personal training stuff, I, again, like it's, it's my value that I see in the one-on-one stuff and that I have experienced in my life that, uh, that that's kind of why, again, it's, it's another way that I can give back. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's what I'm doing right now and I'm uh, really, really enjoying it. And I think that touches on just your character that, I mean, you and I connected in high school on too, is you could see that both of us were trying to find obviously our ways through our various sports, but any of the conversation we've had since always kind of relates back to how can I give back to the people that I want to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just the, the last thing you talked about books and obviously diving into reading. Do you have any that have really jumped out at you that have been maybe not life altering, but some that have really stuck with you that those were mindset changing maybe? Um, I really liked the book called the way of the seal by Mark divine. Um, that was a really good one. That's, that's more kind of like leadership type book, but it's also a lot of self reflection and self growth in there too. Uh, but it also has, it has some breathing exercises and stuff like that, but it also kind of like, for me, it kind of opened Pandora's box about, what I'm capable of, what I'm truly capable of, of in whether it be, you know, uh, the working world, whether it be a physical, uh, endurance event, uh, just kind of whatever it is. So that was kind of a, that was a really good book, um, for that, uh, game changers by Dave Asprey. Mm -hmm. That's another good one. Just kind of has, uh, a dialogue in there um, from I think he did 400 plus interviews with super successful people from all kind of walks of life. That one was really good. Um, but yeah, those two kind of, there's another one called uh, the power of habit by Charles Duhigg. Um, that one was really good as well, as far as uh, habit, habit formation and, not only formation, but breaking of, of other habits and stuff. So, no, it's honestly, yeah, some, uh, some of those are, are, are pretty good. Um, if I think about some more, I can, I can send you and maybe you can put it in the show notes for my recommendations. But, uh, those are, those are a couple ones recently that I've, I've really enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's something is no matter just yourself reading them or if the people listening do have, the time or the will or the want, I guess, to read those, everybody can take something else out of them too. That's one thing that I truly appreciate about books and reading. I really appreciate you coming on, being open and honest about everything and just spending your time with me, man. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've had a blast. It was, uh, it was good. I, I love what you're doing here. I really appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate you reaching out to me for this. I, I hope it goes well for you and I hope your listeners, uh, gain something from uh, each and every one of your talks. I definitely think again with yourself and the others that are on, there's lots to take out of, you know, everybody's going to find something different, which I think is amazing. And uh, we'll definitely have you back on again and have some updates on how things are going. Awesome. Thanks to you. Hey guys, I hope you really enjoyed that interview with Kevin King. He's a very humble person as I'm sure you gained from the interview. He's definitely doing a lot to give back to the youth initiative in hockey as well as in other sports as well. 
obviously being a professional hockey player, his main focus is towards hockey, but he's definitely open to helping anybody that might be dealing with the ups and downs of making decisions or finding a path in their sport as well. Uh, Kevin's book recommendations that he recommended in the show. You can find those links in the show notes to purchase those if you'd like, as well as we'd really appreciate if you'd like and comment and subscribe to the show as that will help us grow and it'll help us get the word out to everybody else if you really like this. If you'd follow along on social media, that will help us grow the reach as well and be able to get the message of limitless possibilities out. And we really appreciate you being here and helping spread the word as well as I hope you all have a great weekend and continue to find positivity in any situation that comes your way. As we all know right now with the unknowns, it's very easy to fall into that negative cycle. So do what you have to do to stay on top of that. And again, if you ever need to, I'm always here to reach out to as sometimes that's all we need is just somebody to listen. And sometimes that's the best thing to do. I'm not going to say that I know everything because I definitely don't, but I'm definitely willing to listen and connect with anybody and talk about anything that they might have going on. With that being said, I hope you guys all have a great weekend and continue down the road of limitless possibilities.